From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Mullady is in the house ready to take your questions. Give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall produces the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, the aforementioned Father Brian Mullady. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. How are you? Terrific, thanks. So we're here, uh, day number two of Lent of this year and... How did we get ourselves in this mess in the first place? <laughs> well, uh, day number two was greeted last night, or actually Ash Wednesday was greeted here last night in Portland by record-breaking snow since 1943. <laughs> <laughs> the whole city shut down. So uh, the way we got us in, in this mess, and this is somewhat related to the name Lent, the liturgical name is Quaresimo because it has to do with the 40 days before, you know, um, our Lord's uh, passion and death. But the popular name is Lent. And the word Lent in Old English means spring. Well, we're experiencing a kind of spring here in Portland. I mean, we have uh, had wonderful days, even getting up to... <laughs> the 50s or 60s but now we're hit with snow and ice and it's a similar thing with the human soul the human soul experiences the warmth of grace but there's still that icy part <laughs> that wears its ugly head occasionally every time we think we've experienced a kind of springtime of spirit winter reimposes itself that winter in this case is expressed by the famous we say during Lent from the scripture if today you hear his voice harden not your hearts now what causes hardness of heart well it's what's traditionally referred to as lust or concupiscence and according to one of the letters of John John Paul II makes a lot of this there are basically three areas after the original sin in which each of us, who's experienced grace even, who's even experienced salvation, is still tempted to reject it. And that would be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <coughs> While the lust of the flesh would have to do with the 
pleasures and pains of the body, especially sexual pleasures and pains, the lust of the eyes has to do with always looking. Always looking to see what someone else has and you don't have. And would basically turn around money and possessions. And the pride of life, of course, has to do with a person not only wanting to be the exclusive possessor of some kind of excellence, but also wanting to exclude everybody else from this, sometimes by even illicit means or even murder, in a sense. Now, all these things are things that war in our spirit, causes hardness of heart toward others. And in the Old Testament, we were asked to address them by three basic penances, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Fasting cured the lust of the flesh, almsgiving the lust of the eyes, and prayer the pride of life. Christ, as you know, takes up these three penances. In the actual uh, gospel we read or read yesterday for Ash Wednesday, and he explains that the whole purpose of them is to have a proper conversion of heart toward God, to do the right thing for the right reason, not the wrong reason, love of God. The Holy Spirit present in our souls in the New Testament gives us the ability to do that. But as a result, you know, he talks about giving alms to be seen, praying to be seen, all those things. That's the wrong intention. And so a person, though they might, for example, in giving alms even benefit another person, they don't benefit themselves as people. And the reason is because they do it for the wrong reason. So during Lent, what we're actually asked to do is to examine our motivations and intentions for doing things, not just our deeds. Yes, those are important. We have confession for those. But also the motivations or intentions with which we do these things uh, in our lives. And taking up the issue of concupiscence seeking to use even physical penances, but more the spiritual desire to be free from sin, to attack these concupiscences, to allow us to again have freedom in springtime of the spirit, is an attempt to allow the warmth of grace to melt the frozenness of our hearts and make them human again. So in this season, we need to thank God for what he's presented to us, which is a proper preparation for the coming of our Lord. Again, first of all, his death, but then, of course, his resurrection, and, of course, the institution of the Eucharist is a part of that. And to make use of the things offered to us by the church in doing that, which would be fasting, almsgiving, and, and prayer. Prayer, for example, might take the place of form of novenas or missions or something like that but to rededicate ourselves to a true spiritual conversion of heart. So if, as the signs of um, Ash Wednesday with the signing of the cross and the ashes remind us, without God, we're dust into dust, we shall return. But with God, we can repent and believe in the gospel, and we can truly experience what it means to be human. If today, therefore... You hear his voice, and Christ is talking about there is internally hear his voice, not just externally. If today you hear his voice, 
harden not your hearts. Beautiful. Father, thank you so much for that. It is uh, the uh, holy season of Lent, and I, and I think a lot of non-Catholics uh, don't really understand the, the whole meaning of Lent, but it's a, it's a very rich season, isn't it? Right. Very, very beautiful. And it should be very positive, too. Yeah, yeah. Remember, if we embrace penances, they're not, even physical penances, they're not supposed to be to the detriment of our health or our psyche so we become rotten to live with or something like that. Because we're, uh, we're supposed to be able to give ourselves to loving others more. And so the, the so-called physical penances of Lent are more symbols of penance than anything else. Mm. You know, people always ask me, uh, you know, well, what are you giving up for Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? Well, uh, right. sometimes we do give things up, but sometimes we also take them up, don't we? Oh, yeah. Well, I look on my sacrifice for Lent as at my age having to fly around the world to different <laughs> parishes yeah. and do parish missions. It seems to me I don't need any further penances than that. I, so. think you're, I think you're covered there. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. If you have a question about, uh, gee, about Lent, about uh, Ash Wednesday, a lot of, a lot of non-Catholics uh, take up the practice of receiving ashes, don't they? Yeah, and lately. And this is a yeah. new phenomenon uh, because they recognize it so uh, important to sign, and sometimes really, really a superstitious sign well, yeah. for some Catholics. I mean, I, I've been at Mass where people will come up to the communion rail for communion, and when you start to give them the hose, they'll put their hands over their mouth and say, No, ashes! Oh, my. Like, that, like that's <laughs> more important than communion, almost. Oh, you know? boy. Okay. Well, if you have a question for uh, Father, uh, we are uh, here for you. Our phone number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us uh, outside of North America, and I know that we've got lots of listeners to this program and others here on EWTN, uh, you're certainly welcome to call this special number. Dial the uh, U.S. country code, which is the number 1, and then 205 271 2985. I'll give you that again. Uh, the uh, country code, which is 1, and then 205 271 2985. We'll be back in just a moment with a question from John via YouTube and uh, some of your phone calls here on Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady on EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Looking forward to hearing from you today here on EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. We do have sold-out phones at the moment. All lines are full. If a line does become Whoa. available, yeah, give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. We'll get to our first call in just a moment here. 
want to tell you about a wonderful group of people that I am blessed to know in many ways, EWTN's Media Missionaries. What are we talking about here? Well, these are wonderful folks who prayerfully take EWTN to parishes and the community through the print and electronic media that we provide. Would you like to become an EWTN Media Missionary? Well, you can do it. You can help us share the good news by becoming a Media Missionary. Here's how to get started. Visit EWTNMissionaries.com today. EWTN missionaries.com. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Get to the phones in just a second here, but first, uh, Father, we got this question from John watching us on YouTube today. John says, since baptism washes away original sin, and with God's help, we can rise above all of our iniquities, can we actually become perfect? I truly believe Mother Teresa was a saint before she passed away. What do you think, Father? Uh, Yes, I would say we can all become perfect in charity, but not in the sense that people are in heaven, because in heaven they can't fall away, but we can still fall away. Adam and Eve, after all, were perfect in charity Mm. before they committed the sin. So the only person who was ever really confirmed in grace while she was on earth was the Blessed Virgin. Uh, Some people think the apostles may have been too, but we're certain the Blessed Virgin was. Mm -hmm. So yes, of course we have the ability to become perfect. And what we're trying to do is uh, the saints, we think, experience this. But the same thing is true for us. And remember, being perfect here means to just love God a lot and love others as he loves them. That's what being perfect means. It's not not a thing where you try to force yourself to attain perfection. Mm -hmm. We don't attain anything. We open ourselves to allow God to do this. Unfortunately, most of us have one of those variations on lust, which interrupts us in this. Even if it's just living with others, find them trying and things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have the ability to do it, certainly. There you go. Great question, John. Thanks so much uh, for your question via YouTube. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. Here is Karen, a first-time caller from Tampa, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey there, Karen. What's on your mind today? So I have a friend who I, I always learned that during Lent you give up something, like maybe that has to do with fasting for discipline of your body and maybe mind that you give alms and that you increase your prayer life. Like, those are the three areas. But I have this friend who said that after you turn 60, you don't have to do anything. Like, there's nothing to do for Lent for you. So I just thought after you turn 60, maybe the requirements of fasting were re- reduced or modified. I don't know. Maybe okay. clarified for me. Sure. And thank you for taking my call. Sure, sure. Well, I believe it's 69, and also children are the same. Uh, you don't have to fast. Uh, however, you have to abstain from meat still. But regarding prayers and things like that, everybody has an obligation to those always. Sure. To be kind to your neighbor, to give alms as best you're able. After all, we have the example in the New Testament of the poor widow 
who Chrysus gave more than all the rest because she gave him all she had, mm-hmm. lest she showed her love of God. So I don't know why your friend would say we don't have to worry about any of those things anymore. What we don't have to worry about, to be more specific, is fasting from food. Okay. Be, and that's obviously because of health reasons. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Just makes sense. Thanks so much for your question. Here is Linda now in Dubuque, Iowa, listening on KMMK. Hey there, Linda. What's on your mind today? Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my uh, question, and thank you, Father, for all you do. Um, my question is um, regarding in the past, I'm a nurse, and I have worked um, for a number of years at uh, a hospital that was kind of like a, I don't know, like a generic non-denominational hospital, I suppose. And so on Ash Wednesdays, they would have a Protestant minister who came around and administered ashes. And since I wasn't able to get to church, since I was working, I, I wanted ashes. So I, I got ashes from this Protestant minister. And now I am really questioning whether or not I should have done that. And, and if it was wrong, is that something I should take to confession? Well, uh, anybody can confer ashes, you know. You don't have to be a priest or anything like that. Um, and it's not a it's not a sacrament or. A, I mean, I realize we, we, our general experience as priests is that people often take Ash Wednesday more seriously than Christmas or Easter. Uh, boy, I got to get those ashes. I don't go to communion. I don't do any of the other things. But I got to get those ashes for some reason, <laughs> and there are actually who people think that that uh, Ash Wednesday is a holy day of obligation. It's not. Uh, it's a custom. It's a beautiful liturgical custom, but it's still a custom. It's a symbol only. So uh, I don't think you did anything wrong in receiving this from a Protestant minister, since anybody could confer ashes, and if you look on it as a symbol of Lent and a symbol of your, your penance, I think that's sufficient. There you go. Linda, thanks so much for your call. Uh, good news here. We have a couple of lines open at the moment at 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we can hopefully get your call on today's program, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. Here is Lou now in Southern California listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Lou, what's on your mind today? What's on my mind today is um, confession and partaking in the Eucharist. Um, and there are times when you'd like to make it to confession, but they don't have it scheduled for a number of days. Um and you're waiting, and you'd like to go to Mass, and you'd like to partake. And I've gone to a live confession previously with a priest, and I had found prayers in the back of the Roman Missal um, for confession. Um, And I read one of those to the priest in confession, and he kind of smiled and said, well, there you go, everything's done, you've said it all. And um, he then gave me the absolution, and I left. Um, It was kind of an unusual interaction, but I guess the question is, if you can't make it to a confession and you truly have remorse and you make these prayers um, and provide a form of penance, does that permit you to participate in the Eucharist or not? Uh, Lou, are we talking about a mortal sin here? 
Um, no, venial sins. Okay. You don't have to go to confession if you only have venial sins before you go to Mass. It's highly recommended, and the reason is because it helps you to address concupiscence. But it's not required, and number and kind aren't required of venial sins. Just to give, uh, for you to express your weaknesses or something like that. So you don't have to go to confession at all regarding that before you go to Mass. It's not a requirement. The only requirement is that you confess if you're aware of having committed a mortal sin and you wish to go to communion. Now, if it's impossible for you to get the confession, uh, then you might, there is some accommodation, uh, but you can't let that go too long. Mm. In other words, you have to eventually mention it in confession and not just let it go. Uh, so the idea of it being opening you to receive the Eucharist is based on impossibility. Okay. Because no one's bound to the impossible. <laughs> um, but it, uh, but it, uh, you can always try uh, going to the parish rectory and asking if some priests were available to hear your confession. Mm, yeah. You do have a right to have your confession heard if you want to. But we have too many people often, you, you like to think Catholics can reach a happy medium, but we tend to be creatures of extremes. So you'll have people who haven't been to confession in six years, and they'll confess being uh, not very loving. Well, what <laughs> does that mean, you know? I mean, was it murder? Was it an idle word? I mean, what do you... And all too often it has to do with sexual sins or something like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. Then you have people who, I want my confession heard now as you're walking in to say mass. <laughs> okay, I had two impure thoughts. That was it. Wow. You know, because they're demanding. Uh, so you have either people who are so scrupulous, they have to go for every little infraction. Or you have people who have no scruples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they go for years uh, without having to do it. And my favorite response is always, with especially some of the older ladies, I don't, she'll, they'll say, I don't have any sins. I don't do anything. I said, well, do you gossip? I try not to. Ah. I said, well, that isn't what I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, but I was, I try not to. Yeah, you know? yeah. Funny. So, That's funny. Yeah. Hey, Lou, thanks so much for your call. We hope that's helpful for you. Sure. Uh, we, we did get a call here from Mary in the Midwest. She says, Father, I forgot yesterday was Ash Wednesday, so I started a crock pot with meat. I remembered later and ate the meal since it was what I had made. Is this a yes, sin? Yes, I would say that. It's, you forgot. Yeah. 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 If you could have eaten something else, it probably would have been better to save it in the refrigerator for today. But under the idea that, you know, remember, a lot, Catholicism is a religion of rules, and there's a reason for that. But they're also not, very few rules are uh, about things like that. Now, we're not talking about, you know, the commandments or something like right, that. Right. But very few rules are so rigid that there isn't some wiggle room someplace along the line. I was told once, and I, I never had a source for this, that one of the dispensations for Italians regarding the abstinence was they couldn't eat meat, but they could eat flavored sauce with meat for oh, pasta. Oh, so that didn't break the abstinence. Okay. 
So, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's, um, yeah. Uh, Do your best. And if, if you forget, it's one thing to forget. It's another thing to say, I don't care, care what the church says. I'm going to eat meat. Well, that would be something that you yeah. probably should, you should confess. Right, yeah. right. Very good. Mary in the Midwest, thanks so much for your call. In a moment, we'll be talking with Glenn in San Diego, Joe, a first-time caller in Kennewick, Washington. We have, look at this, four lines open right now at 833-288-EWTN. If you call right now, we'll probably get you on today's program, 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us for Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. He is here to answer your questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Hey, another one of our EWTN Radio family members celebrating their anniversary this week, Aquinas Communications in Dubuque, Iowa, marking seven years with EWTN. Congratulations to everybody in Dubuque, especially our partners there, Aquinas Communications. Here now is Glenn in San Diego listening on the great KFSD. Hey, Glenn, what's on your mind today, sir? Hi there. I, uh, I had a question about uh, Genesis uh, 6, chapters, uh, or verses uh, 5, 6, 7, and it had to do with the Great Flood. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if God uh, uh, has to uh, kill everyone on Earth I'll tell you what, Glenn, uh, we've got a really poor connection there. Let me just kind of translate that. Uh, Our screener says uh, that would be Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. And your question was, why would God kill everyone on the planet just because they disappointed him? Well, it's not a matter so much of disappointment. It's a matter of just punishment. The human race is wicked. Mm. But it wouldn't be everybody on the planet, obviously. I mean... uh, that's the way Genesis expresses it, and it seems there was a flood um, around that time. They even seem to have found the ark on Mount Ararat or whatever it is. But um, it's the whole idea that, for one thing, God will never again destroy the earth by water. And for another thing, he makes a covenant, remember, with Noah, mm-hmm. where there's sacrifice involved and things like that, and that there were only a few just people. And, of course, you got the animals there, too. But, obviously, every single animal couldn't have gotten in the ark. So, again, it's another example of Genesis's manner in which it's expressing a theological truth, which is namely that the human race is, I hate to say it, rather wicked. Yeah, yeah. No getting around <laughs> that, it. And they don't have to be, but they are. And then, so God cleanses the human race. I think it's a symbol for baptism, too, I believe. Mm, okay. People like St. Peter and St. Paul in their epistles use it as a symbol for baptism. So the waters wash away the evil, they find the dove of peace, and then they, they make the sacrifice afterwards. Very good. Glenn, thanks so much for your call. Sorry that the uh, connection got a little garbled there, uh, but glad we could answer your question. Here is Joe now, a first-time caller in Kennewick, Washington, listening today on YouTube. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? I have a question in regard. I've seen something on a social media, one of our social medias in the, we have nowadays, and 
CatholicCompany.com, but it's a quote. It says, a single Mass offered for oneself during life may be worth more than a thousand celebrated for the same intention after death. St. Anselm, doctor of the Catholic Church. I was wondering if you could unpack that. What? How do you offer a Mass for oneself, for instance? Well, you don't. The priest does. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's for your own intention, your intention of your conversion of heart, and that you might go to heaven uh, while you're still alive. Um, I don't know what the context is of the quote, and I find it very difficult to comment on certain quotes without a context. But I have a feeling it was someone objecting to, or actually participating in, having masses said for themselves while they're still alive, that they might go to heaven. So, and, and of course, we can also say masses for the dead. So that would, you know, uh, be the second half of the quote. But um, you can't say mass for yourself. The church says mass for you through the ministration of the priest. But you can make your own conversion of heart more fully your intention. All right. And a very good question there, Joe. Thanks so much for it. Mm-hmm. Here is uh, Al now. Al is in Seattle and uh, listening there on Sacred Heart Radio, one of our longtime partners. Al, what's on your mind today, sir? Uh, thank you for taking the call. Um, I have a daughter who is in nursing school, just started, and um, I'm assuming, well, anyway, she's she just started nursing school, and she's uh, going through the classes, and she she kind of raised the question to me of, you know, what can she say no to in studying to be a nurse? Obviously, you know, she's not going to, you know, not going to want to do abortions or anything like that, but I was thinking that she would probably still need to learn that in, in um, learn the procedure for children that are born, stillborn. You know, I, I think nurses have to know that procedure, but she does not want to, and I, I agree with her, not to uh, to be any take any part of, of abortion or any part of euthanasia, you know, and providing drugs or anything like that. Um, or uh, I just was curious: is there a is there some sort of documentation or whatever that she can read and learn about what she should be doing in nursing school, or even when people are studying to be doctors? Um, what should they be aware of, and what can they say no to as uh, in in the process? So. Well, I'm not aware of any documentation, but I'm sure there are medical ethics people who are. Uh, I would look that up on the Internet to see if there's any documentation myself. Uh, obviously, she can't participate in sin, so uh, and especially sins that regard life. So it, it, uh, I think the Hippocratic Oath says it all first do no harm. And uh, so anything that she considers to be harmful, and hopefully she does consider abortion, euthanasia, even sex operations to be harmful, she'd have to try to make, uh, lots of luck at Washington State, she'd have <laughs> to try to make a case of conscience where she would be excused from those things. 
Al, you might check with the Catholic Medical Association. Right. That would be a great resource. They have a, a program, the official radio show of the Catholic Medical Association, Dr. Doctor, that airs every weekend here on EWTN Radio. But uh, just uh, do a quick Internet search for Catholic Medical Association, and I'm sure that your daughter will find some resources there. Hey, thank you so much uh, for your question. Do appreciate that. Here's a question that we received from David. He says, I am a new Catholic. Can you help me understand the devotion to the infant Jesus? Oh, well, yeah. Uh-huh. Like the infant of Prague, for instance. Sure, sure. Uh, you got to remember that the uh, original revelation of the infant of Prague is about the, it's about the incarnation, about the hypostatic union, and about the knowledges of Christ, hmm. because uh, much like Eastern Orthodox icons, the statue does not have a baby face. That's all modern stuff. Sure, you know where there it's like a doll and all this business. Hmm. Um, the statue has an adult. The, the face of the Christ child has an adult face, as it does in Eastern Orthodox icons. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because the theological principle involved is that because Christ is God-made man, in his human nature, he has uh, the beatific vision, he has infused knowledge from God, and he also has ordinary knowledge, and he has all that even when he's a little child, even when he comes from the womb. So that's the origin of the devotion. There you go. Thanks so much for your question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's a, an interesting one now from Kevin. I've never seen it uh, phrased quite this way. Kevin says, why do Catholics collect pieces of a saint's body? Never thought of it in that way. Oh, you mean the relics? Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, I was in uh, Los Angeles when the relics of St. Therese came through. Mm-hmm. And the mayor of Alhambra, because the two very male and female Carmelite foundations there both had the the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mayor of Alhambra was not a Catholic. And he said, bones, you want us to guard bones? <laughs> so there was a uh, LAPD or Alhambra police sergeant who was a Hispanic woman. And she said, one more word. Your Honor, and I'm having you up on charges of religious discrimination. Wow. I mean, we do the Chinese New Year. We do all these other things. And some of those, for some of us, those bones are very important. Now, you may ask, what could their importance be? Well, not only are they reminders of the people who, you know, uh, were holy, but I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but when Henry VIII was reforming the Church of England, he went and destroyed Thomas Becket's shrine, which was 400 years old, mm. who had stood up to the king in Canterbury Cathedral. And he had Becket's bones dug up. They had a trial over the bones and declared him a traitor. Wow. And then they destroyed all the relics. Now, we have just recently got a relic of Thomas Becket, but that's because some of the things, like his arm, and this is why the bones are important, were sent to other places in Europe. I believe they found this in Prague in some church. So um, it was returned to England, and both the Anglicans and the Catholics turned out this time to welcome Thomas Becket back. But uh, bones are symbols to us 
of the people and their spirituality who uh, lived in the body where uh-huh. those bones were used. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we are so solicitous for relics. Some of them, as you know, in the Middle Ages, they had these very strange, spurious relics. Because uh-huh. people used to collect them and they give money for them. And uh, like the feather of the Holy Spirit or the milk of the Blessed Virgin. Oh, or, my. Or something like that. That's why we now have um, committees or something to pronounce in the authenticity of relics. And I believe there's only still only one convent of sisters who's permitted to make reliquaries. Really? Where these relics are housed, oh, okay. yes, All right. in Rome. And uh, they're, all, they're allowed to charge for the material of the reliquary, but of course you can't charge for the relic. Of course. Well, very good. Kevin, hope that's uh, helpful for you. It's uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN. A couple lines open for you if you have a question for him, and that number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Tomorrow morning on Women of Grace with Johnette Williams, Johnette will be talking about the importance of being faithful, especially during Lent. Check it out tomorrow morning right here on EWTN Radio at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Let's uh, continue now with a question from Noreen in San Diego. She asks, are Catholic ashes a sacramental? Also, are ashes from a Protestant a sacramental as well? And is there a difference since the priest is persona Christi? Oh, my. Well, I think there's some confusion here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Yes, the Catholic ashes are a sacramental. Um, as to the Protestants, it depends on what they think about them, what they're, what they're there for. Remember, sacramentals, all they are are attempts to um, help you in many different ways. And they're everything, many, many things are sacramentals, uh, even trivial things. We used to kiss the scapular when we made a mistake. And since the scapula was blessed, mm-hmm. we got a, an indulgence or, mm. and we could give. So... Um, the uh, Protestant ashes, I really don't know how to answer your question. It depends. I've never been to a ceremony where they're blessed or anything. Yeah. I doubt that they're blessed. I think they just take them out and use them. So if that was the case, it wouldn't be a sacramental as such. It has nothing to do with the priest being made in persona Christi. Okay. It has to do with what their usage is. And that's where we're going to leave that one. Uh, Noreen, thanks so much uh, for your question. Here is Tim now in Idaho, listening on the great Salt and Light Radio. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today, sir? Okay, hi, Father. Um, My question is, I was talking to a friend over the weekend about sins of your forefathers and whether, you know, like your grandfather and your father or your mother, do the children, is that a teaching of the Church that the children or, you know, downstream generations would have to pay for them? I didn't think that was. Just the opposite. In fact, it was denied in the prophet Ezekiel already. Um, Only the the only sin we inherit from our, uh, as original sin, and that's not an act, that's not a deed. It's a loss of grace. That's Mm. it. Yeah. So, uh, no, uh, the sin... Children are not punished for the sins of the fathers, or vice versa. Of course, if you're living with a person who's raised you, who's very, very wicked, it can affect your life. 
but you're not punished for it, no. Appreciate your call there, Tim. It's uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. Andrew offers up this question. What was the purpose of the transfiguration? Ah, well, there are many purposes for the transfiguration. It's one of the reasons why we not only celebrate a feast in its honor in August, but we also celebrate it during Lent. The primary purpose was for the Lord to give the apostles a glimpse of his personhood as divine through his human nature to prepare them for the scandal of the cross. And by tradition, Moses and Elijah appear with him and they're discussing his passion. And then, of course, you have the Trinity that testifies to him being the second person of the Trinity, Mm -hmm. uh, the Father and the Spirit, the bright shining cloud. And then even nature testifies to that because it's at the top of a mountain. The ancients were accustomed to communicate with God at the top of mountains. It's one of the reasons why in Mexico the Indians built artificial mountains Hmm. on which to put their temples, Hmm. you know. So it's on many, many different levels. And then, of course, we have Peter, James, and John, who were the representatives of the, the church, the new Israel. So Peter's its head on earth, John is its contemplative, and James is the first bishop and martyr of Jerusalem. And they all experience this special um, revelation by which Christ's person shines through his human nature. Appreciate that. Thank you so much uh, for your question. Let's go now to Daryl, who's driving through Alabama, listening on the great Guadalupe radio. Hey, Daryl, what's on your mind today, sir? Uh, hi. Um, I uh, well, thank you very much for uh, taking the call. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask a, so for some advice. I, um, I grew up in uh, New Orleans in the Catholic Church uh, in the 60s and uh, under the old responses and got out of the church for a number of years, uh, went back uh, within the last couple of years, and uh, all the responses have changed. And uh, I find it very difficult to attend Mass because of that. And I was wondering if there's any advice uh, that you can provide for people like me who have uh, experienced that. Okay. Well, as you know, there's the Priest of Eternity of St. Peter, who still have the ability, I believe, to celebrate the traditional Mass before Vatican II or during Vatican II, before not the, not the present Missal. And then also under Benedict, although it was largely withdrawn recently, there was also a permission in any parish church to celebrate the traditional Mass. If you look around in your area, you might find a place where it is celebrated, but it has to be in union with Rome, right? Not the Lefebvreists. Right, right, right. Not the Society of Pius X. Yeah. But the Priests of Eternity and attend Mass there. So that may be a, uh, a resource for you, Daryl. Thank you so much uh, for your question. Here's one now from John watching us on Facebook this afternoon. John says, How do you explain to a child why God scrambled human speech at the Tower of Babel? <laughs> Oh, well, that's a fairly easy question to answer, believe it or not. It's because the human race uh, gloried in its technology, if you want to put it that way. So much so that they thought that they were rivaling God. So uh, speech is a sign of our rationality. 
It's also a sign of our relationships with each other. Mm -hmm. So God descends from heaven uh, because he's concerned about this uh, pride on the part of the human race. And so just, uh, it's kind of funny, really. It's almost like sheer devilment in a way. But it's reversed the Pentecost by spiritual language. So he scrambles the human languages so they won't be able to communicate with each other. And uh, so it's an attempt to show the human race their limitations. Yes, indeed. And here's a question now from Paula. Uh, Very interesting. Are humans above angels? No. Okay. There's only one human being who's above angels, and that's the Blessed Virgin. Okay. All the rest of us are below the angels because the angels have no bodies. They're pure spirits. And there there is no such thing as a species of angel. Like we have homo sapiens, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, whatever word you want to use, human persons, human, whatever, the wise. Um, The angels don't have a common species because each one is totally unique. They also have uh, infused knowledge from one to the other. Mm -hmm. They're perfectly aware of the fact that God created them and the world. They don't have any questions about that. And they have almost a pure metaphysical knowledge. So, um, and, and the Blessed Virgin is greater than the angels, not in the order of nature, but in the order of grace. Okay. She's the queen of the angels. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Paula, that's your question. Thanks so much for sending that to us. Here's one now from Nathan. Uh, Father, what is the relationship between mercy and justice? <laughs> oh, gee, you want that in two minutes? On the yeah, radio? sure. <laughs> Why not? Well, they're companion parts, as you know. Mercy and justice have met. Mercy and justice have, justice have kissed. Uh, is what the psalm says. So mercy has to do with recognizing the weaknesses of another and um, not justifying those weaknesses or making the other a victim like we do today, Mm -hmm. but from the standpoint that you don't have those of trying to help them to deal with them. And it's not a quid pro quo, in other words, strict equality. Justice, on the other hand, is helping you to deal with them but it's also strict equality. And there can be no mercy that's real without justice. Um, And justice has to do with rights. People have rights to be treated a certain way. Uh, I've been noticing in in the present society, I could tell you I was one of the almost elderly now. I mean, we have no rights anymore. People used to treat us with courtesy they don't do that. We don't have any respect for us at all. And I'm constantly amazed at that. Yeah, very sad, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Here's a question now from uh, Austin. What is the Catholic teaching on having a do not resuscitate order? Oh, um, well, you don't have to be resuscitated if it's a matter of terminal illness. Okay. And you're just um, prolonging the inevitable. Uh-huh. Uh, but you do have to express that fact yourself in a durable power of attorney. Of attorney. And above all, and if, let's say you're incapacitated, 
you have to pick or designate someone who knows your mind on this to um, explain to the hospital, etc., that this is your will. That's very different than a living will. Mm-hmm. Because the living wills, they kind of leave it up to the doctor or the family. Uh, no, especially the doctor. You never leave it up to the doctor or hospital to decide whether you should be resuscitated or not. Mm. That's something where you have to make a personal choice. Now, if it's an ordinary surgery or just because of pain, that wouldn't be indicated. But if you're just prolonging the inevitable, like you're on the way to death, you know you're going to die in a week or two, uh, the painfulness of it, you, you don't have to do it. And the thing is that if you are on extraordinary means, which is, let's say, a respirator. Mm-hmm. I don't know this is I'm not a doctor, but I've been told by moral theologians that the body, if the soul is gone from the body, the body can only be kept alive for so long by a resuscitator machine. Eventually, the body gets the idea there's nobody home. <laughs> <laughs> and it begins to shut down on its sure, own. Sure, But you don't have to be resuscitated if it's a terminal illness and it's very um, uh, compromising regarding pain or expense or something like that. But you have to make that decision or someone you designate, not, uh, again, the hospital or the state. Very good. And as we're going out the door here, one quick one from Cameron. How do we reconcile the violence in the Old Testament with the message of Jesus? Oh, well... The Old Testament, remember, is God preparing the human race to receive the Messiah. Mm. So the implication would be that when they start out, they're pretty violent and materialistic, as can be seen, and we talked about it this morning, uh-huh. uh, after this afternoon, in the episodes of Noah or of um, uh, 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 you know, the Tower of Babel. Sure. And then when you get to Jaden and Sisera with the tower peg, the peg of the temple, uh, that seems strange yeah. regarding Christianity. Well, it has to do with God exacting, uh, establishing his power through a human being. And remember the whole purpose of that, she's a woman, and the Jews would have considered her weak. And so she weakness can overcome strength. Father, could we have your blessing, please? May our blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Brian Milady. We're looking forward to our next broadcast of Open Line here on EWTN, and that'll be tomorrow with Colin Donovan. Be sure to join us then. I'm Tom Price. Have a wonderful day, and God bless. Yeah.